Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is all about successfully doing business in China. This is segment one of a three-part series where we'll explore important insights about China that foreign companies need to know. Um, We're going to talk about IP protection and enforcement, as well as trademarks. Our guest today is Robert Goris from Sovereign China Limited. With offices worldwide, Sovereign China accelerates international clients' abilities to understand and operate in the China market. They've successfully assisted more than 600 companies from over 50 countries with their China market entry. Robert, welcome to the Globig podcast. So you've had a lot of great experience in China. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to be at um, the Sovereign Group. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much also for um, having us, uh, having me on the on the podcast. Um, my journey to China, um, I've been now over um, eight years and um, my first experience with Asia um, was when I um, studied at the, at the university. I had an, uh, a scholarship to Asia. I could uh, choose between at the time um, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, and Bangalore, and I wanted to um, really go somewhere new, uh, somewhere excited, and uh, I chose in the end to go to um, Taiwan. At that time, my university didn't really have any relationship with um, China, um, so chose to uh, to go to Taiwan. Uh, been there uh, for a while, um, finished my studies, ended my um, thesis, and I. Um, thought China, Asia was a was a great place and very exciting already. Then a lot of things were happening. Um, when I came back, um, I um, started working for an alternative investment fund, and uh, I met my uh, now current wife uh, also in Taiwan. She's from um, uh, Belgium, and together we both had the idea to go back to uh, to China, and um, in the end, she found first a job at a, a Dutch company in China and she, and we discussed like what are we going to do and we decided to go to go together to China um, and here uh, when I was here in China I started uh, working for the Chamber of Commerce um, for Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands where we were helping um, companies from uh, the three countries to also enter China uh, but we were as a Chamber of Commerce or more of building relationships between um, different companies, different um, individuals. Um, And after doing that for over um, six years, um, I transitioned to Sovereign, um, where we uh, also help um, companies to enter China, but where we do actually do uh, go more into depth and um, do the research on market entry or setting up their company or doing their accounting. So really taking their hands and making the big step to China. So that's a little bit, I think, my journey to China, if that answers your question. Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. So when a company is considering China, from your perspective, what are some of the key insights that they need to know about China and what are the kind of the trends and you know what would make it interesting for companies that are thinking about coming there um i think the most imp- 
important thing is that people need to understand that China is very big. It sounds a little bit uh, stupid, but a lot of people forget that China is very big. And it has a few important um, elements. The fact that it's so big means that um, it's not homogeneous. It's very diverse. Uh, it's diverse in development. Um, for example, the East Coast or the coast is very, uh, very developed. Inland is much less developed. And that's also for provinces. Um, one province is very developed, the other one is not developed. Um, for example, certain regions uh, are famous for their development are Bohai uh, Rim, that's close to Beijing. The Yangtze River, it's close to Shanghai, is a really developed zone. And the Pearl River Delta is a really developed zone in uh, close to Shenzhen. So these are the coastal areas. And inland, then you have also areas that are developing like Chengdu. So when you, I think when you enter China, you cannot really enter China. You enter a, a place, a region, a segment. I think that's one of the things people first need to understand. I think in many ways you can look at China as maybe Europe. You don't go, uh, when you go uh, to uh, maybe start your business in Europe, you don't attack Europe. You go to one country first and then maybe move to other countries. It's the same, I think, in China. You don't go, you don't, don't go to China to um, capture China, you go to a city, a place, a segment. I think that's one of the, the one of the first key things people need to understand. And also mm -hmm. that's that's one of the other elements that people always uh, not always often make a mistake is they think like oh, 1.4 billion people live there. So I have 1.4 billion potential customers. Right. And I if, if I only sell to one percent, I will be rich. But it's just not the case because, as I said, like it's very very diverse. Um, the the GDP of someone in, in Shanghai is um, compared to Finland, but there are also places much uh, much less developed. So, if you have a certain product, it could fit to one specific um, target group, but a lot of other people will not be able to pay for it or even understand the server, even understand the 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 product. Um, I think another uh, interesting, I think if we look at opportunities, what is interesting is uh, uh, the huge urbanization that has been taking place. So currently, 54% uh, uh, I think live in cities. So that uh, is a huge concentration of people in, 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 in small places. Uh, of course, the one-child policy has been a very interesting um, phenomenon. What's uh, what's happening? So currently, uh, we have a very aging uh, population. Um, the expectations, I think, is at 2030, we have over 23% of people that are 60. So having that in mind, certain opportunities arise in elderly care or uh, in medical services. So I think uh, these are interesting um, phenomenon. Um, and also there are, of course, um, industries where the Chinese government really wants to promote uh, business like um, innovation uh, or green environments, um, high tech. So there are many, many um, different things happening in China. So it's very important to understand that if you are, uh, if you're a company and you have a specific technology or product, that you really um, need to look at. Okay, where in China could I sell it? Can I sell it in China? Is there a market for and how should I approach that? So the fact that China is very big and there's a lot of people and development is very quick, doesn't automatically mean that uh, people are 
people are in need of your product. Right. I think that's a really important point. You know, one of the um, Chinese accelerators that we work with, they always talk to us about how many companies will, you know, consider and want to join their accelerator. But then when they do a review, they find that most, frankly, are not right for China. What, from your perspective, are some characteristics that might make a company more likely to be successful in China? Like, what makes a company right for China? Of course, it has to do, I think, with um, uh, it has to do with the com- what kind of company it is and the industry it works uh, in, but also very much of the fabric of the people working in the company. If I first go to the first one, the industry, there are very clear. Um, indication by the Chinese government which industries are restricted, prohibited, or encouraged. Uh, a few of the encouraged uh, industries already mentioned uh, earlier, like high tech or environment, um, are uh, industries where there's a, there's a high focus. But there's also uh, restricted um, industries or prohibited, even. Of course, a logical one is uh, anything in the army. You cannot do anything uh, army related here, but also very Normally, you would say, like, why is this prohibited? But um, industries like um, antiques or auction houses you cannot do as a foreign company or open a theater or uh, modifying plant seeds um, because they are all considered uh, strategic strategic um, industries for China. So being understanding what is possible, what's not possible in China legally is already a very important step. Eh? Certain Industries are also restricted. For example, telecom, publishing, education, these are restricted. So in that area, you can only do investments when you do a joint venture. Um, so by knowing that you already have the first indication, like what is what do I need to do when entering China? If you think about more of the character of the people or character of the, of the business, I think the thing you need to import into China is patience. Uh, you need a lot of patience, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, China is very fast, fast moving. Developments are very fast, but certain certain things just take time. Approvals take time. Opening a company takes time. Um, getting licenses take time. Um, and it's very untransparent. So you have to have a lot of um, patience to do business here. Um, and you have to have deep pockets you have to be said right it's it's not going to be something that is going to be profitable in the first i know maybe year um you have to have deep pockets you have to have a real commitment towards um, china and understand that it's gonna uh, again take time and it's gonna cost money china is not a cheap place anymore um i think another one is flexibility um companies need to be um flexible that they are able to uh, adjust their business model, but also focused enough that they don't do everything. Because I think if you come to China, um, you see opportunities everywhere. Right? Everything is, um, there are things that can be approved or new business concepts, business models can be implemented that you can take from home. But um, that often gives a risk that you are diversifying too much of your attention in different projects and then nothing really goes well. So you, at one point, you need to be focused, uh, but also if something shows that it doesn't work, you need to be flexible enough to, um, to change it. 
and to uh, choose another approach. And I think the last point we always say is when uh, you need to be uh, committed to China, uh, the uh, headquarters needs to be committed to China, uh, meaning that um, somebody in the, the team in the uh, headquarters needs to really believe in the China um, activity. Um, because otherwise um, there will be a very big dis uh, discrepancy because the operations here in China and the understanding of the he uh, headquarters, I think. Because it's very, China is very um, intransparent and many times you hear like, ah, this is, this is China, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work in China like in other places. And if you don't have the commitment of your um, uh, headquarters, if you don't have somebody that is understanding you or listening to you, then it becomes a very difficult, um, uh, difficult process to work with your um, uh, with your headquarters because there's just a, a discrepancy between the understanding here in China and what the headquarters wants. Well, certainly United States companies are often known for their short-term goals. And because these are long-term plays that might, that often is in conflict. Would you agree? Yeah, but I don't think it's specifically the U.S. I think the same in, in, in Europe. People just also need to understand like China, if you're in the U.S. or in Europe and you're having an operation in China, it's just very far. It's, it's physically very far. There's a time difference. There's a cultural difference. There's a, um, um, uh, difference in doing business uh, and expectations and I think that's where uh, we see a lot of um, entrepreneurs companies coming to China with a specific mindset they, they have been successful in their field in their, in their country or in their region um, and now they're wanting to come to China with this, exactly the same setup and normally that doesn't that just doesn't work mm -hmm. right absolutely you know, one of the biggest concerns that you we often see for international companies when doing business really anywhere, but certainly in China, is IP protection. What are some of your tips for how companies can protect their IP in China? And it's probably really important to do this work well in advance of, you know, going there. Yeah, I, the simplest thing uh, what I can say is protect it. Do it. Um, get your trademark uh, because we come we come across still many companies that tell us no we haven't done it because it has no use anyway because we're gonna we're gonna get copied anyway but if you don't have anything to uh, protect yourself with if you don't have any trademark you can also not fight them and fight the infringements so first rule is always protect yourself and do it early um, we always uh, advise always, uh, people also when they go to, for example, um, expo ex uh, exhibitions in China. Uh, before they go there, they already need to be need to have their trademark filed because many times um, companies or people go to these trademarks, look at interesting products, look at interesting brands, and then the next day they go home and uh, start to file this. A trademark by themselves in China and in China it's a first to file principle so the first one who files gets it and it's not a principle as, as who has been using it for uh, the longest time so that's a very big difference um, in uh, China compared to other places in the world. Absolutely and I think that that awareness is just really missed by a lot of companies we see that as well that 
they're just not prepared in advance. They they make they do a lot of work and then they forget to really protect themselves. So not just trademarks, but how about the contracts right around IP and working with different companies? Are the contracts enforceable when they do have them? I mean, I think the mindset of, oh, we're going to get copied anyway, I think is very wrong because you have absolutely no rights then, right? You probably don't even have rights to your product at that point. No, indeed, um, you don't have any. If you if you don't protect it, you have any uh, have zero rights. It becomes very difficult to um, um, protect yourself or to fight the infringements. But if you talk about um, contracts, um, they are enforceable. Um, they are better enforced, uh, for example, in places like Beijing or Shanghai. Um, but the legal system in China is not. It's not bad. Uh, if you, there are many um, cases where companies have won IP cases, uh, but they have protected themselves well and have prepared themselves well uh, when entering China. Um, so I don't. I, I always um, I, I disagree with people saying that China is a, a, on IP protection is a very bad place. But just many people forget to protect themselves. Um, that's the first problem. If they protect themselves well, they are able to enforce it. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So, the you know the one of the other things, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly too, is is that you need to have all of your contracts in Chinese and written by Chinese lawyers in the region you're working in. Is that is that true, or is that little bit? Am I understanding that a little differently? The most important thing I think where companies make um, the mistake is when they make a contract is that they say, if there's a problem, we will do the litigation, for example, in America. Because they then have the understanding that uh, because it's on my in my home turf, I will know the system and I will win. However, uh, maybe you will win, but the the, the American court has no has no power to um, um, go after the Chinese company. Mm. And it still needs to go to um, Chinese uh, court and to be um, retrofied and still a lot of procedures need to be done. So we always say it's better just to choose a court in China, choose a court in Beijing, um, then it's a good it's a good place, a good courts, and there you can also have a good chance of of, of winning. Um, having your um, having your contract in Chinese, I think it's always uh, better. We are in China, so it's it's more logical to have it in Chinese. Of course, it, uh, it's a problem with translation, but um, if you don't have uh, if you have your contract in English, uh, it needs to be very clearly written that. The Chinese contracts, the Chinese wording prevails the English or the English wording prevails the Chinese wording. Right. But in but in the end, I don't see um, the benefit of that because in the court you still need to translate it back to Chinese. Right, absolutely. So it makes sense to do it correctly from the very beginning. And don't assume yeah. that any of the things that you think are going to protect you using American contract law and and none of those are really going to allow you to enforce it in China anyway, right? 
No, yeah, it's just you need to uh, you need to really find somebody um, equipped and understanding of the Chinese law, in particular, because as as you said, many things that work uh, in the U.S. just don't work in China. Right. Absolutely. Are there any other tips and things that you think would be really important for companies to know around this, whether it's protection or or doing business in China? Um, I think the the I think if I give anybody an advice to uh, when they come to China is really uh, keep your uh, bring your common sense. Don't leave it at the border. Um, don't let the, the 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 size of the country and the potential um, um, put you in a in an idea that you uh, you believe everything you hear because it's such a great country and such a great opportunities. Bring your common sense. If it doesn't make sense, it probably doesn't make sense. That's yeah. yeah that's that's. I think that's. It sounds a little bit simple. But we have seen so many companies coming to China and um, telling us like, oh, I know this person for a very long time. We are great friends and uh, we had great evenings, dinners together. And he, he really wants to, he's a really good friend. I have, and I've given him 50% of my business. Mm. And um, so, and now... Um, he's taken over my company, and I uh, can't get it. Uh, can't uh, when I'm call when I call him, I can't uh, hear anything anymore. He doesn't reply to me anymore, and he's taken over my company, and I lose all my money. This is not a. It sounds crazy, but it's not a. We have we have experience in this. We have heard. I've heard companies doing this. We have ex uh, our clients has happened. Yes. Uh, this uh, uh, and. Uh, so that's why I say don't leave your brain at the border. <laughs> right, that is such great advice. So a couple of things too is, is we want to make sure that uh, companies have, anyone listening to this podcast has um, resources and, and knows how to reach you. What's the best way for companies to get um, in touch, whether it's with you or, or with the Sovereign China um, the website is a great um, resource. There are our uh, our contact uh, details, and you can always send me an email or connect me on um, WeChat. I don't know if it will be in the introduction of the podcast, or I can mention it here. Uh, my email address. What's uh, yeah? Most it'll be convenient. both. So we'll put it on the um, podcast write up as well as you're welcome to um, let people know the best way to to get in touch with you if you'd like on the podcast too. I think sending an email would be uh, would be the best option. Okay, so what's your email for them to reach out to you? Uh, that's rgoris at sovereigngroup.com. Excellent. We'll have that. Um, you know, one other resource that we always suggest people read, they give you a really great sense of, of China and Chinese laws, the China law blog, any other um, things that you like to read and, th and things that you think would be helpful for people just to get a sense of how doing business in China successfully. Yeah, the China Law Blog is also one of my favorite um, favorite blogs. Uh, we also partner with uh, the China Law Blog, so it's definitely a good uh, resource. And just uh, the internet, there's so much information on, on China. If you type in doing business in China or you type into Google um, 10 things I need to know when starting my joint venture in China, you will get 
great advice. Um, so, and you guys again, have some really great resources as well. There's some um, excellent, whether it's downloadable white papers and and blog articles. You guys are really great content creators, also. True. Uh, thank you very much for that uh, compliment. Yeah, on our website there is. Uh, our market entry handbook that um, shares information on um, uh, many of the things we talked about today. Fantastic. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. So, listeners, make sure to tune in for segment two and three of Doing Business Successful in China. And don't forget to visit our website, globig.co, for your online international expansion headquarters. There you're going to find an abundance of free resources, training, planning tools, and, of course, introductions to vetted experts around the world.